There's a fascinating quote um, from the book. You, you wrote, for sure, Jesus uses professional ministers every day of every week. If you serve in vocational ministry, you are making beautiful art. If you have the opportunity to help non-professionals see the big picture and chase big dreams, for the rest of us, know that Jesus chose us for our roles. You know, within our denomination, for example, there are thousands of, of ministers representing hundreds of thousands of Jesus followers. When you look at the percentage of, of ministers to non-professional ministers, it's quite remarkable. So talk to us about the way that you've turned your non-ministry profession into an opportunity for the gospel. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Ryan George. Ryan is a professional adventurer exploring new ways to push human limits through amazing feats such as bungee jumping, wing walking, ice climbing, and more. He is the host of Everyday Adventure podcast and the author of a new book. Ryan, thank you for joining the conversation. Oh, man, I'm glad to be here. So when I was in 10th grade, uh, high, my high school invested resources into helping students figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. Um, <laughs> that was way, way over 20 years ago, but I don't recall seeing uh, Adrenaline Junkie on the option list. Uh, so so wh wh when did you get into this and uh, what, what made you want to do it? Well, I didn't get into it for healthy reasons. I can give you the backstory of that. So I was bullied pretty stout. And um, 
middle school and my parents pulled me out in the early 90s and homeschooled me uh, which exacerbated some problems helped others right and then when I got to college back then homeschoolers didn't have the resources they do now for connection and community and so I was I was uh, socially awkward <laughs> when I got there and I just wasn't one of the cool kids and so I had felt you know all growing up until college graduation that I I was less than other people and then when I got into my career um, God was great. I, I worked for a, a, two men of faith who were just amazing mentors and my career rocketed right from the get-go. I was at the top of my industry within two years. And uh, of course, disposable income comes with that. And it just so happened that that occurred when the world got social media. And so it was kind of like a Molotov cocktail for me because I went, oh, this is how I'm going to prove to the world that I'm worthy of their attention and respect and love, which is a horrible reason to get into these things. But you know, uh, some people call drinking liquid courage, like after they get some alcohol in them, then they have the courage to do things. I don't drink, but I have what's called digital courage. So when I turned those GoPros on, I was able to do scary things um, that I wouldn't have been able to do without it, right? Um, for the attention. And, and it got the likes, shares, comments, all of the above. I even had people, multiple people come up to me, even at church and say, I live vicariously through you on Facebook. Um, so I got into it for a very unhealthy reason, but thankfully, really right near that beginning of my international stunts where I started going around the globe to do this stuff, uh, I got a pastor who was trained in experiential education, was a wilderness guide before he was a pastor, and helped me process adventures through the filter of what do we learn about God's heart and his character, about the community that he desired us to be in, and how do we go from, hey, we just conquered this physical challenge, this arbitrary line between I've never or I couldn't to I just did how could we go back home and look at the arbitrary lines that we have put in our faith in our relationships and our vocation or whatever and say no, no no this this is something that with faith I can I can do and so what I found is you know uh, adrenaline rushes are called that for a reason because the more scared you are proportionally the more dopamine epinephrine that you get and so um, it becomes habit forming at the same time, as I started to process these adventures through the filter of faith and community and reward, um, my spiritual life became addictive too. And saying yes to a hard surrender or a Holy Spirit prompt became easier in some ways because I was just like in, you know, when I go out on the wings of an airplane or jump off a bridge or a building, I was focused on the reward and go, yeah, this is hard, but I know what's coming is euphoric and amazing. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I stayed in it. I got into it for an unhealthy reason, but how I got to a healthy place to enjoy. And now I experience Jesus everywhere I go. So, you know, my track is, is easy, right? You know, feel called to ministry, you know, maybe do an undergraduate in religion and philosophy, then go on a seminary and start the process of, you know, pastoring in different forms. You know, knowing many people listening to this might be thinking to themselves, it sounds pretty awesome to travel around the world and go on some pretty remarkable adventures. How did you, how do you build a life around that? What does that, you know, what does that look like and how you create opportunities to do this? Well, a lot of it is again, relationship base uh, are based because, you know, multiple, almost every one of the pastors in my church does something crazy or has done something crazy, ice climbing, whitewater paddling, racing motorcycles, flying uh, experimental aircraft. And so for me, my faith community made it normal to do that. I mean, we would have guys come to church with whitewater kayaks on top of their car because that's what we would go do after the service. And so you just get invited into it. And then when you get invited into a space, you meet more people who say, oh, if you love this, you should try that, you know, and um, especially like I went to Antarctica for my 40th birthday 
uh, saved up a, a good bit. It's not cheap to get there. And everybody on that boat had to save up to go there. And everybody on that boat was a little off their nut, right? Because who goes to Antarctica just for fun? And we weren't on a cruise ship. We were on a former Russian research vessel. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, we were on water slides and zip lines and stuff. And you just meet people who have different interests and tell you stories and, oh, you should try this. And, um, and then you start Googling. You're like, well, what was, what's an experience that's like this? And of course, uh, for me, Instagram and Facebook and other opportunities where the algorithm figures you out and knows, oh, you'll probably be interested in this. And for most of my experience uh, online, the algorithm has been correct. <laughs> and so I get suggested these really cool things to do, or I'll see something in a movie or a TV show and say, hey, I wonder if that's something you can do commercially. And sure enough, it is. So yeah, so I've been out on the wing of a biplane while it's doing loops and barrel rolls and hammerhead stalls and, you know, holding on for dear life while it's doing 145 miles an hour straight at the ground, because I found out that's something you can do. <laughs> you know, you said something earlier that um, really stuck out to me in the sense of like, you know, I don't know, we, we in a sense, you know, we talk so much about faith in such a way, you know, leaping out uh, into the unknown, you know, stepping out into things unseen, you know, at the same time, Faith is about uh, confidence. It's about confidence in God's ability to lead us. You know, and in the same way for you, you're not doing anything willy-nilly. You know, you're taking safety precautions to, uh, to, to make sure the measures you're taking are, are going to protect you and the people you're working with. You know, how, do, how does that kind of process of picking these things and, and making sure they they are going to be safe, safely done. You know, how, how does that speak to you about faith and the elements of faith? <laughs> so I have a, I have a contrarian view on that. Um, I do verify safety a little bit. So I'm an Enneagram seven and I've got a little bit of a wing eight and a wing six in me. And that wing six says I'm always concerned about safety and I am, but I don't, I'm not preoccupied by it. I will never pray over you for safe traveling mercies because I've never seen that prayer in the Bible. I don't generally pray for safety over anything. Um, I pray that what I will experience is what Jesus wanted me to learn and see and know about him or about myself or the world. I don't have a death wish. I'm not going to go stand in front of a train and play chicken, you know, but um, I, I'm also... I'm not resistant to fear. One, one of the um, people I was talking to last week, they, they were bringing up the verse in the Bible that says, God's not given us a spirit of fear and that we shouldn't be afraid and about how the most common command in scripture is don't be afraid. And, and I replied to them, I said, but the, if you look at the situation when someone was told, don't be afraid, from a human standpoint, there was a legitimate reason to be afraid. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things my pastor says all the time, he says, when God shows up in scripture, whatever it is, it's not boring. And in many situations, it's scary. And so, again, because I have over and over again faced my fear and saw that after I do the hard thing, the scary thing, the uncomfortable thing, there's reward. I'm that way in my faith, too. So I, it's, it's not that I'm focused on safety. It's not that I'm not focused on safety. It's just that that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what's a fear or a challenge I can conquer. And then what's the reward that waits after that. And a lot of times I don't know what the reward is. I just go expecting that 
there'll be a lesson or a revelation or as has happened multiple times in my travels, just these incredible moments of transcendence where I feel connected to God like I've never felt anywhere. And it happens in a church too, sure. But uh, for me, it happens in a lot of non-church places. We're going to dig into that here in just a bit, but let's kind of officially introduce the book. Uh, the book the book is uh, Scared to Life. This is a, a memoir of sorts and reflection on faith lessons learned and all your travels and adventures. You wrote, Jesus designed my journalist system. The Holy Spirit knew the men who would enter my life, what shared adventures would do to our hearts and our relationships and our respective ministries. The Father knew the prayer I'd offer beforehand and the worship I'd exclaim afterwards. He knew I would see him recognize his movement and want to share what I saw. It sounds like um, what you do has a strong sense of calling. So talk to us about that. Mm. Yeah, so the way I've been explaining to people is there's a difference between going hiking and going looking for God while I'm hiking, right? So it's it's not so much that I've, um, I felt like I was born for this, although I do think that God wasn't surprised and he's not, embarrassed or ashamed that I'm an adventurer I, I I think he he allowed that in me he put that in me because he knew as I said there in the book that you quoted like he knew that I would tell the story from his perspective and so um and part of it too is to redeem it you know I, I dealt with a lot of insecurity not just from being bullied and stuff but you know my wife's the missions director at our church and she spends her vacations in dusty brothels in Managua Nicaragua or up in the high mountains of the Himalayas working with uh, orphans. And so you can feel like the kind of adventures I go on are less than, and, and they were, they were empty. You know, the day I started writing that book was the day that Anthony Bourdain took his life. Cause I went, you know, he found all of his international travels and all the experiences he had to be empty. Did I find him empty too? And so I just started going back through all these trips and um, stunts really, you know, jumping off of buildings and stuff. And go, no, 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 this is where I experienced Jesus. And this is where I experienced the Holy Spirit. And this is where I felt the heart of the Father for me. And so it, it became a way for me just to feel um, connected to Jesus and to, a and to my Father in a way that I wasn't before. And again, it was habit forming. So it's not so much that it's intentional. It's just that that's the mindset. I'll give you an example of that. So two weeks ago, I was hiking through the Faroe Islands. If you're not familiar with those, they're volcanic mountains that just erupt out of the ocean south of Iceland, north of Scotland, west of Norway. They are in the middle of nowhere. And we're hiking, and I'm hiking with a, a person who does not have uh, faith in Jesus, and um, it's interesting to experience that. And I just said, God, I don't know what kind of conversation I'm going to have with him today, but I want to experience you. And we're walking through a farmer's sheep field. We get to the edge of the cliff, and it's just windy as all get out. It's the North Atlantic is what it is. And I look down at a crack, a crack in the rock, I'm 200 feet off the water and there's a little purple flower the size of maybe my pinky finger at most and it's beautiful and it's trembling in the wind and I was just overwhelmed with God's presence and people were like what in the world's going on are you you know a hippie or whatever but no there's so many things swirling in the news not just in secular culture but in church culture um, there's so many things going on in my family I'm a relatively new adoptive father and there's changes in my business and I just feel the pressure of the winds of the world blowing on me. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know what I think Jesus sent me over there to do is to see that little flower and go, you know what, for its short period of life, it was going to lean into the wind and in its fragility, bring as much beauty into the world as it could, no matter what that wind did. And I said, 
with all these winds swirling around our family and our faith in our country right now, I just want to take my fragile beauty, whatever I can contribute to this world and lean into that wind. And it really put wind in my sails, no pun intended, to, to keep going, to lean into difficult situations back home. And I have stories like that from all of my trips because it's not that I said, okay, I have an assignment. I got to find God. It's just that I go expecting to, to see him, to experience him, to hear his whispers. For um, our Star Wars fans out there, um, the location you were just referring to is not too far from that uh, remarkable scene from uh, The Force Awakens, Luke Skywalker's island, as a lot of people like to call it. So you weren't you weren't too far from there. I was following you on Instagram and enjoying some of the pictures you were posting from from that experience, and then totally nerding out at how close you were to to Star Wars lore. So, well, anyway, my, my favorite spot that we were is the final scene in the newest James Bond movie as well. So awesome. Um, you wrote, people tell me all the time that they couldn't hang glide or bungee jump or skydive because they would be too scared. I'm not sure where the line between appropriately scared and too scared, <laughs> but life gets better when you're at least a little scared. Talk to us about um, the nature of fear and, and your relationship with it. Yeah, I mean, I get uncomfortable. And one of my mentors is a whitewater guide, and, and he was telling me this. And I, I really resonated with it. I get uncomfortable if after a few months, I haven't done something physically that scares me, that wakes me up, that makes the rest of my world fade away. You know, when, when you're upside down on an airplane, you're hanging out on a wing, you're not thinking about your next quarterly tax payment or the hard conversation you have to have with your daughter or <laughs> what's going on in your ministry. Like you're just focused on being alive and being fully present. And so it's that way in my faith as well. Like if I haven't gotten an assignment from the Holy spirit that is counter to my ego is counter to my comfort in a while, I start to wonder how connected I am to him. And if his voice has grown quiet to me, um, pastor Erwin McManus has a saying that when we say yes to Jesus in the Holy spirit, the voice gets louder and clearer and clearer. And when we say no, it gets softer and softer and softer. And we could even get to a spot to where we forget what his voice sounds like. And I know that there's going to be amazing adventures with Jesus going forward in my life, as there will be physically and in travel or whatever. But if I don't say yes to the uncomfortable thing this week, then I don't get the next assignment. And like, it's, it's sequential for me. And so my relationship with fear is that I, I kind of want it because I know that if it, this is a big thing to me, you can't have faith without at least doubt, fear, or both. Like you, what you have is religion at that point. If, if we can be comfortable Sunday in and Sunday out, year in and year out, then what we have is not faith because we're not having to stretch ourselves. We're not having to confront ourselves. We're not having to pull something out of ourselves that we didn't know we had in us that Jesus draws out. Like it's not something we get credit for, something he does. And so my relationship with fear is like, if I don't have that, and it doesn't have to be something scary like what I do you know, ice climbing in Antarctica or surfing in the Arctic, it can be something as uncomfortable as, you know, making an apology or inviting someone over for dinner who has a different politician sign in their yard or, you know, finding the lonely person at church and going to talk to them instead of the people that you normally go out to lunch with. It, it doesn't have to be huge. I remember writing this book, I got so scared to leave a huge tip. I was writing in Portland, Oregon, and of course, it's famous for being a godless place. And I was, I was scared to write a huge tip and write Jesus loves you on that. And, and my heart was like going faster. I remember the first time I went to therapy, 
to see a Christian counselor, I was waiting in a waiting room and my resting heartbeat went from 55 to 83 on my Apple watch. But now I crave those, those meetings with her and, and the truth that she's brought to me. And so, yeah, well, it's not so much that it has to be huge, but if I'm not uncomfortable on a regular basis, the warning lights on the dash of my faith go off. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This episode is brought to you by Youth Theology Network. Youth Theology Network is your resource for helping high school students take their next most faithful step. Their online hub will provide you with resources for and by leaders helping high school youth discover their purpose. 100 plus vocational discernment programs across the U.S. to help students explore their call and impact stories to remind you of why this work matters. Like you, Youth Theology Network is dedicated to seeing students live out their purpose, passion, and calling. Connect with us to learn more on how you can partner together to support the next generation of leaders by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting youththeologynetwork.org. That's youththeologynetwork.org. There's a fascinating quote um, from the book. You wrote, for sure, Jesus uses professional ministers every day of every week. If you serve in vocational ministry, you are making beautiful art. If you have the opportunity to help non-professionals see the big picture and chase big dreams, for the rest of us, know that Jesus chose us for our roles. You know, within our denomination, for example, there are thousands of ministers representing hundreds of thousands of Jesus followers. When you look at the percentage of, of ministers to non-professional ministers, it's quite remarkable. So talk to us about the way that you've turned your non-ministry profession into an opportunity for the gospel. <laughs> so that's, you know, I haven't got that question yet. Thank you very much for that. Um, I, I look at it like, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, New York Times bestselling author, Bob Goff. Um, 
but he has a few sayings like we shouldn't be doing Bible studies. We should be doing Bible doings, which I agree with. But one of the other ones he has is um, that our day jobs are just fundraising for what it is we're called to do in life. And for some people, they're called to do the day job, right? So like my wife, again, she's the missions director at our church. Her Venn diagram of um, making money and mission overlap, you know, 90 some percent. For me, my day job is just fundraising for everything else. So I co-lead a parachurch men's ministry. I lead a, a co-lead a, um, a, the parking lot server team at my church, so, which is a, a discipleship incubator for new believers and, and almost believers who are serving in the parking lot with me. And so what I do Monday through Friday allows me to do that. And of course, with these adventures um, for a long time, I, anytime there was somebody else in the pictures on my trip, uh, somebody in that picture I sponsored to bring, you know, I paid for their way to go or help them out. So I was using that as ministry. Um, my day job, I'm a virtual assistant and I help, this is a really niche job, but I help auction companies with advertising. And so this is not a glamorous thing and I'm okay with that, but I get, I don't know, four to $6,000 a year of free airfare that I can gift to people to come on trips with me or use um, to go. And so um, my day job is fundraising for the grander mission of my life. At the end of my life, I, I don't care if anybody knows what I did for a living or how many awards I won in my industry or any of that. I, I hope they go, Hey, Ryan was kind to me in a parking lot or Ryan took me on an adventure that changed my life. I'll give you a, a story that it's just inspired me and it, I didn't mean it to be this way. And, and now it is. But so um, three years ago, actually last week, we did an epic helicopter expedition up in British Columbia. We were stand up paddleboarding in a glacier and we came home and uh, the guys who went with me were from my church. And, um, the next Sunday, one of the guys who went with me, his wife came up to me behind church. She said, Hey, can we talk for a second? I said, sure. That's fine. And she said, so, um, I went to marriage counseling this past week and the counselor asked my husband, what's new. Did he lose weight? Did he get a new job? Because he came in with a completely different outlook than he's had in our, our counseling. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, you know, the difference is she went on a, he went on an adventure with you. And, you know, we, what happens when you conquer fear with somebody, particularly something big, um, it's almost like a foxhole mentality because you both just conquered the enemy of fear together. And so then vulnerability spills out. Guys have confessed things in their marriage, in their job, in their, in their lives that they're struggling with or things they wish other people knew because now they trust you because they just did something scary and you were one of the people who were there with them. And so, yeah, so if, if my day job can help me have more experiences like that with people and give people breakthroughs like that, man, I, I hope I get to have this job until I'm old. I've always sought out adventures. Uh, even when I was a young kid, the idea of sitting uh, inside and reading a book just bored me to tears. Um, <laughs> in fact, I, I, my parents actually used to use that as punishment. If I got in trouble, they're like, you're going to sit inside and read a book. Like, oh, okay, well, uh, so, you know, adventure doesn't, quite equal finding fulfillment for everybody you know, at the same time. So in what ways have you found fulfillment when you're not abroad or, or, or jumping off an airplane or, or paddle boarding in the Arctic? Yeah, for me, it's looking for the daily, the daily Holy Spirit prompts. If, if the only adventures I have are the ones that I have to pay big money and get on a plane for, then um, I'm going to shrivel in between. And so what I've learned is that adventure is a continuum and I can do it on big and small levels on a daily basis. 
And so even, even for me, it's interesting you say that about reading. It was the same for me. I remember my parents, I got in trouble and I had to read the biography of C.T. Studd, the missionary to Africa. And that was just like the cruelest thing they could have done to me. And last year I listened to 65, read and listened to 65 nonfiction books in one year. Because now it's an adventure to learn something new. Um, you know, I disciple a lot of guys. And so I read a lot of books on how to do that and different topics to try to figure out where someone else is in life who has a different experience from me. Lately, uh, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know why it is several of the people in my ministry, the, the guys that I serve, um, have had unfaithful spouses and gone through painful divorces and have asked me to walk through that with them. I don't have experience in that. I, I married my wife 21 years ago. There's never been infidelity or anything like that. And it's been super uncomfortable. But afterwards, when you hear the breakthrough somebody has or you see the relief, you know, when their shoulders release or whatever, that's an adventure for me. It's super scary. A few weeks ago, before my daughter came home from college, my wife asked, did you text your daughter today? And I was like, ah, I don't know what to say. I'm so nervous. Like, I, what's going on in her life today? I don't know. I don't have a segue. And she's like, you go out on the wings of airplanes while they're flying. You can find the courage to text your daughter. Just send her something. And so for me, it's not so much, am I going to Antarctica next week? It's uh, what's, what's something uncomfortable I can do today? Or what's a discomfort I have that I can lean into? an apology I can make or confession or whatever. And so I'm trying not to only look at adventure as episodic, but as a way of life. You're, um, you know, a traveler of the globe. You've, you've encountered uh, a lot of different people groups and religious expressions. Mm. Um, what has traveling outside the United States taught you about uh, the Christian faith being expressed in other parts of the world? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Yeah. So I've experienced, yeah, churches in different countries. I've, I've spoken in Spanish speaking and um, churches in a church in Nepal, having friends in different countries. Uh, one of my friends worked in the underground Chinese church for 15 years and is now working in a similar population um, in an undisclosed location. So I've, it's been wild to see an un-American approach to Jesus, um, a church that isn't chasing the American dream, that doesn't measure success by the same standards that we do. The other thing that has been very helpful for me is to see how culture impacts faith and how diverse cultures, even within the United States, pursue Jesus with everything they have, and it looks completely different. And so what that does is it, it's humbling to me and it makes me more um, introspective and very much less dogmatic. Uh, I grew up, my, my dad was a minister, a uh, very conservative sect in the United States. And it was, it was one specific version of God or else you were going to hell and on some very minor issues, you know, and I've lost all of that because someone who's chasing after Jesus, how, how salvation worked in Jesus's ministry when he would tell someone they're in paradise or your faith has saved you look completely different than a specific pathway that I was taught growing up day in and day out as a pastor's kid. And so, it, yeah, it's changed my theology to be more generous and to look for the commonalities rather than differences and to go, Oh, you know what, what makes me comfortable is my culture. It's not my theology because our theology is, is the same. And so it's not that it's that doctrine doesn't matter or anything like that. It's just, um, it's made me less 
sure of myself to go, maybe you don't have it all together. <laughs> maybe you don't know as well as you think you do. It, it makes me stay curious and makes me keep evaluating why I believe what I believe. And I think it's healthy. You know, a lot of the headlines in Christianity right now are about deconstruction. And actually, uh, I just finished writing a whole book about uh, reconstruction and why that needs to be a counter narrative. But um, what, what I have found is that if, if the people around us are also curious, and I'm thankful for our church that's that way, and the way we do missions is not to take an American gospel over. It's just to hang out with people over there and figure out what they need and come alongside them. That um, you, don't, you don't go through a full deconstruction that way because everything's on the table all the time and it's um, available to be evaluated. And when you do it in community with people who are on that same journey, um, again, it's, it's humbling and healthy and it grows you up. I, I guess in the same way, how is traveling the world and sharing life experiences with people very different from you um, enhance your worldview as a follower of Jesus? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, th I think as I've met more people who are in just different things, you know, whatever different switches get flipped for them than get flipped for me, things that excite them get different for me. They have different fears than I do, and they have different courage than I do. Um, what I've found is a very personal God, one that is um, very interested in me uh, individually. And so um, it makes the conversations I have with Jesus in the woods much more intimate. Uh, so I believe in the uh, framework of spiritual pathways that it's kind of like love languages, that there are seven different ways that we feel love from our creator and that we communicate love back to him. And I take the test every few years just to see where I am. And every time I've taken the test, the number one thing is nature. So I feel closest to God in nature. And I have these conversations with him out in the woods about what I'm learning around the world, what I'm learning even here in the States. And it just, it's so personal that I'm left on occasions weeping. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, my first trip to Iceland was the week of Thanksgiving because there's no tourists over there. So everything's super cheap, but it's also super dark because it's that time of year for them. And my wife's like, yeah, as long as you're back for Thanksgiving dinner, go have fun. So I went over there and I, I lived out of a camper van and there's a beach there called Vik, V-I-K. It's black sand beach. It's surrounded with these really um, unique black rocks. And I was there at night. So there's black water and black sky. And I was going, there was a lot of people in our life we, that our daughter had just come to live with us. There were some changes in my career and stuff. And I said, God, I feel like this moment standing right here on the edge of the ocean feels like my life. I can only see like three feet. And I'm not sure where the edge of the water is, where the sky starts and ends where I am. And so I started listening to worship music and trying to declare attributes of his character back to him. And I just started crying on this beach. So that was Tuesday night. That next Sunday, I'm in church. And at our church, they put like a scrolling video or a photo behind the lyrics as we sing. And my, my church production staff didn't know where I was that Tuesday. But I look up and we're singing a song about faith. And, and there, right there behind it is not just the beach that I was standing on Tuesday night. It was the exact section of beach that I was standing on Tuesday night. And it was as if Jesus said, I see you. Like you're leaning into your fears for me. You're wanting to follow me. And you don't know how that's okay. I do. And, and I'm not surprised by anything in your life. I'm not ashamed of anything in your life. I'm with you. And so as I've experienced different expressions of, of God in different cultures and in different people and how they're wired, where I'm realizing 
oh man, God has so many different individual ways for us to pursue him. And he has so many different ways for him individually to reward us. What's next on your bucket list? <laughs> well, I just did my big one for the summer. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping to get to Greenland soon. Um, the top of the list right now, we, we can't go till 2024 because of some of the people who we want to come with us is uh, Slovenia. Um, Slovenia has three of the things that I love, love, love to do. So one is paragliding. I've paraglided in seven countries. It's like a Mecca for that. But two, it has some of the best Via Ferrata in the world. And Via Ferrata is a system developed in Italy. It's all over Europe. It's starting to come to North America now, but it, um, they screw rungs into a mountain. So you climb mountains rather than rock climbing. You, you kind climb on these ladder looking things. And um, Slovenia, you can hang off a mountain 2,400 feet up, which is pretty pretty good exposure and then they also have a sport that i love called canyoning and canyoning is where you repel waterfalls and slot canyons and there they even let you do it at night with headlamps and so um, one little country between italy and austria has all three of those things which are on my favorite list so i'm really looking forward to that have you ever seen images um from what's called the the plank walk in uh china i believe the mountain is um I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Hoa or Hua. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, if you, if you haven't seen that, I, I feel like that should be on your bucket list. Just, I mean, for anybody listening to this, just, just Google the best you can. Uh, you can Google crazy mountain hike in China or the plank walk in China. It's, it's insane to look at some of these images uh, of people doing, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable. But when you were talking about that, it kind of reminds me. Uh, yeah, it, of this it, honestly, a lot of the way they're set up is similar to Via Ferrata. Um, Via Ferrata typically doesn't have the planks. So instead of walking on the planks, you'd actually be walking on pieces of rebar that are just screwed into the side of the mountain. So yeah. I've, I've experienced something like that. And if it weren't so remote and so expensive and two days each way to fly there just to do it, I would, man, I would so wish to do that. <laughs> hmm. Maybe a closer one, probably I'm sure you've done this one before, but the Angels Landing Hike in Zion National Park. Uh, is, that looks awesome. It's, it's incredible. Uh, my wife and I made a decision when we went to Zion a couple of years ago. We we're like, that's not happening, especially with children. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. so uh, if, if price wasn't an issue, where would you go next and what would you do? Oh, I'd go to space for sure. I had that conversation with my wife because there's a company now offering um, flights to space for $50,000, which is still outside of my <laughs> price range. But yeah, it's... I. I'm really fascinated by both the overview effect and the ultra view effect. So the overview effect is what happens is it was um, coined that term in the eighties by a scientist who noticed how astronauts change in their view of culture and of world geopolitical politics after they've been up in space and they, they don't see any borders and you don't see any walls. You don't see any countries. You just see humanity as this little blue marble, you know, and then, in the about five years ago, maybe six years ago, a scientific journalist um, coined the ultra view effect about how many scientists come back and become people of faith because for however they were trained going up there, when they get up there, their framework for how they view the world doesn't, doesn't have enough answers. And so if I'm finding Jesus in cracks in a rock in the Pharaohs, I can imagine how overwhelmed I would be in space. Um, I'm not an elite athlete and I'm not a pilot, so I, I can't go the astronaut route. Um, but thankfully guys like Jeff Bezos are figuring things out. And hopefully by the time I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, it'll be in a price range that I can't afford. But yeah, I really look forward to that someday. 
Fun fact, Jeff Bezos sponsors this podcast, so um, maybe we nice. can make a... There we go. <laughs> we hey, if William Shatner can get there for being on Star Trek, <laughs> I can figure out a way. Note, note to audience, we would have a much higher production level if Jeff Bezos was... Um, was sponsoring this podcast or you know you know paying taxes the same way the rest of us do but that's another that's conversation right. for another time so <laughs> that's right our guest is uh ryan george the book is scared to life uh, if you want to stay connected with ryan visit explorience.org uh, ryan it's been a joy talking to you thank you for challenging us to see that god is doing something new and we might recognize it through laughter or tears goosebumps or sweat uh, celebration or quiet exhales mm. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.